Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippi and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, a huge win in Wisconsin for Democrats, a loss in Chicago for me. The pity party at Mar-a-Lago continues. And of course, Fox has pivoted right back to where they started. Surprise, 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 Trump. Alex, where should we get started? Oh, any of those sound good, but why don't we start in Wisconsin, Joe? So first off, huge thanks to everyone who volunteered and helped Judge Janet um, Protosawitz, but she made the smart decision to go with Judge Janet on this campaign. Um, <laughs> everyone who went in and helped with, with the union, with the Wisconsin Democratic Party, um, clearly made a huge difference. Uh, Joe, pre-show, this was what we were talking about first. What did you see out of Wisconsin? It's basically been razor thin Race is there forever. Biden won the state by only 20,000 votes, you know, less than a point. She's winning 55-44 for Wisconsin. Massive. Huge. 11 points. Massive, massive, big margin win. That wasn't just about running up the score in Madison, Milwaukee. She made real inroads in rural Wisconsin, too. And this is the same strategy that was used to help uh, Tony Evers last year going after voters in places like La Crosse, 3rd District, all along the one I-90 going west. But, you know, you look under the hood at places like Dodge County. Trump won that county by 31 points in 2020. Kelly only won it by 14, the, the, the crazy conservative in the race for those who don't, who, who weren't, uh, you know, following closely. 17 point difference there. A big gender gap and, and high youth turnout the thing that did it, I think, were two things. The contrast between Kelly, who was absolutely nutcase, crazy, conservative, off the charts, anti-choice. Judge Janet and Wisdoms, Wisconsin Dems, you got to credit both of them. They kept the abortion rights front and center and made that contrast clear. That's the whole thing here. I think there's a whole bunch of, oh, progressives had a massive, you know, uh, election night. Yes, this was a big, big win. But if you go a little deeper, I think it was the contrast that I've been talking about over the last few years. They keep doing the crazy. We keep nominating serious people who are real and particularly do the work. But also it looks again like abortion rights, which have been big since Dobbs and made a difference. Women in rural areas in the suburbs who would Normally, they would describe themselves as pro-life, pro-life, yep. But not so much anti-choice because while they they don't think Roe v. Wade should have been overturned. I mean, they were they were they they may have said that prior to Dobbs, but I think there's there's a growing gap there, and that's really helping in these rural and suburban areas. So that's the contrast. And then, of course, I think the thing that people need to note is that there were two referenda that conservatives put on the ballot to really open up what judges could do to impose cash bail on people. And it was to pull conservatives out and to drive their turnout. I think all those people did maybe come out. Right. They both got 67% of the vote on both of them. Right. But those people voted for Judge Janet. There's no way she could have that huge win that she did with them both drawing out conservatives and winning by the huge numbers they did. Here's the thing I really want to point out, though. That also means that a whole bunch of progressive Democrats had to have voted 
for them to be at 63, 65% of the vote. Though Democrats had to have voted for those conservative cash bail, anti-crime or anti-violent criminals kind of bills imposing cash, you know, giving judges great latitude before they could only impose cash bail if they thought flight risk. Now it's that the judge believes they're a danger to the community. There are things you can read into election night. And yes, it was a big win. But again, I think there was a cautionary note there. Like I said, not just whether conservatives came out and voted for Judge Janet, but how many Democrats in Wisconsin may have come out as well to vote for Janet, Judge Janet, but also voted for tougher referenda on crime, which gets you to Chicago. Okay, so in Chicago, progressives had a, a, a very big win, moderate Democrat versus a progressive Democrat. They had Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson. They had very different views on policing. Yes, it was a win by, we don't know at this, at least as of this moment, uh, Brandon has a, a 16,000 vote lead. Brandon had uh, two, three, four weeks ago was talking about defunding the police, et cetera. And he backed away from that. But I do think there's danger in that rhetoric for, for Democrats. And the proof of the pudding there is, whether, regardless of whether you think Paul Vallis is a moderate Democrat who, who differs on crime uh, with Brandon Johnson, or, or as Brandon Johnson branded Vallis as you know, some sort of fake Democrat, pseudo-Republican, it was a split. It was Paul Vallis saying we needed to put more police on the streets, uh, keep schools open uh, so that young Chicagoans had, you know, a safe place. Uh, parents knew where they were, uh, keep them open after hours and all summer. And Brandon, um, who was talking about uh, cutting the police department by $150 million and used defund the police rhetoric until recently and backed away from it, the city was pretty much split 50-50. And so there's a sort of recurring thing here that Yes, there's an argument going on within the Democratic Party to some extent. Had Paul Vallis won by 16,000 votes, it wouldn't have meant the opposite. That's all I'm saying here. Big kudos to that campaign, uh, to what they did, to their win. They, they deserve it. Uh, they won it. And by the way, the, the other difference here is, you know, in contrast to Kelly in Wisconsin, who went out. Oh, yeah. just, Glad you're getting like, here. This is about yeah. to what I was going to say. He didn't call it a concession, pretty typical MAGA, but we need to put a spotlight on it. He said, I wish that in circumstances like this, I would be able to concede to a worthy opponent, but I do not have a worthy opponent. He went on to call Judge Janet uh, beneath con contempt and a serial liar. Uh, you know, and this gets to the whole trying to make Vallis a Republican. You know, one, he, he wasn't. And I can explain a, a few things about that. Paul Vallis, personally, uh, is very religious, Greek Orthodox. Personally, uh, would not choose, you know, abortion. That's not his thing. He personally wouldn't do it. On the other hand, he has consistently, for like 40 freaking years, been pro-choice, saying that the church, the state, no one should decide this except for the woman. Um, and, the, you know, and that no one should get in the way of that. Uh, and was campaigning, saying that uh, Chicago should be a safe haven, that as mayor, he would keep it a safe haven for any woman uh, in other states who are being denied abortion rights, that they should be able to come to Chicago and it would be a safe haven for them. He was uh, for gay marriage in 2001 when he ran in the Democratic primary against uh, 
Blagojevich, three years later, I ran Howard Dean's campaign for president where we, we thought we were a little out there by being for uh, domestic partnerships. That's 11 years before Joe Biden or Barack Obama were for gay marriage. So, so, so to categorize him as anything but a, a, a Democrat, and, and I would say progressive, but okay, you want to call him moderate, uh, because he thinks that we should have, uh, you know, bring the Chicago police force up to full force at this, while doing things like opening schools, investing more in mental health, all those things. Okay, but because of that difference, let's go to the next step. He loses, it looks like. He immediately went out, went, you know, went down to the ballroom at the Hyatt Regency in Chicago and walked up. And the first words out of his mouth was, I, I ran to pull the city of Chicago together. And moments ago, I called Brandon Johnson and told him I expected him to be the next mayor of Chicago. And I would do anything I could to help them and help bring the city together. By the way, the ballroom went nuts and they started booing, you know, when he said that. And he went, no, 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 no. I expect him to be the mayor. This isn't being uh, dodgy. It's just that there's still like 100,000 ballots left to be counted in Chicago. And he was, you know, just basically saying, hey, look, when, I, when those are all done, I really expect him to be the winner. And I, I don't want to get in the way of that. And let's, let's all get behind him. That brings you to the, the larger point here which is the difference in how they reacted. Right. But the larger kind of implications for democracy too, as we're getting towards 2024, right. obviously c clear contrast, but the MAGA playbook is just so clearly anti-democracy in all its forms. Right, exactly. That's what was going on in Wisconsin. That's what was not on the ballot in Chicago. Right. Well, and so I want to zoom out a little bit and, and get more into, into 2024, because the, the thing that, that also was going on in Wisconsin was, I mean, and the Wisconsin Democrats ran ads talking about how a conservative court would be anti-democratic. So it was clear well, that, yeah, abortion was number one, but pro-democracy was right behind it. So what do you think that means for 2024, Joe? That's sort of my point here. Choice, I think, abortion rights and pro-democracy, that's where the Democratic Party and the pro-democracy movement scores against Trump, against the MAGA-controlled House. It is that contrast, I think, that made the difference in 2022 that stopped it from being the massive red wave. I think it's bode well for Joe Biden in 2020. You know, Dobbs hadn't happened yet, but I think that contrast is still what worked for him, and I think will work again in 2024. The point I was trying to make on the crime stuff is I think it's different depending on where you are. Brandon Johnson winning Chicago by whether it's 16,000, whatever it's going to be. First of all, that's in Chicago. In other words, the Vallis position, 8,000 people changed their minds the other way and the Vallis position wins. I wouldn't read that into anything nationally is what I'm trying to say because the city of Chicago was split literally in half on this sort of debate. You know, New York went the other way with Adams. And I think you can't argue that the state of Illinois or Ohio or Pennsylvania or Georgia or Arizona would necessarily, somebody taking the Brandon Johnson position, is what I'm trying to say as a Democrat, or Montana, I doubt that is the position anybody's going to take. It's not about taking on Brandon's position. He won that race. He is the mayor of Chicago. He will be implementing the policies that he wants to make. 
But I think reading into, well, we should adopt that or that that means that's how to, that's a successful position. It was in Chicago. And by the way, barely. Right. Barely Chicago is not Wisconsin. And we saw that side by side. And kudos to them. That's that's not, I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm just saying like, you know, cautionary note here, do not read too much into either of these, either Wisconsin or Chicago on the on crime. On abortion rights and democracy, hell yeah. Both of them are great examples of that, in my view, in terms of the power of, in terms just even the way Paul Vallis handled election night versus a MAGA Republican in Wisconsin. Totally different thing. So I think, you know, abortion rights and pro-democracy side of things, those are clearly, clearly big advantages that we have. On crime, what I learned from Chicago, that race, is that we have to do both. We have to both be supportive of police departments in terms of both reforming and holding them accountable, but also fully supporting them with the resources and the training and trying to build trust between police departments and the community. And Paul wanted to do that through community policing, where right. the police would know the community they were in, the community would know them. But what I'm trying to say, all these policies that actually both of them were talking about, it's we're, nationally, we're better off I think as a as a party realizing that we have to do both things and that it's the rhetoric. I mean, this is where I do agree with Obama, but Barack Obama, President Obama said that it's the rhetoric of defunding the police, the, the slogan of it that has really damaged people being opening their ears and listening to some of the policies that that might actually work. It's the language. I think Brandon Johnson actually got that. Finally, you know, like it, it, three weeks in, with about three weeks left to go in the campaign, he really started to back away from that kind of rhetoric. And, right. and I think, you know, so it's changing the language of how we talk about it. There are things that we can learn, even in losing or winning, you know, in Chicago, that fight, about how we should talk about all, all these issues. The one thing is clear, pro-democracy, pro-abortion rights. But I think on crime, we still can learn a lot by not, oh yeah, somebody won by 16,000 votes. We should all do that. And by the way, I'd be saying the same thing the other way. If we, yep. if Paul Vallison won by 16,000, I mean, you got 600,000 votes, things decided by like 16,000 people, you know, that's the margin. Do not read that that's the way we should go. No, what, what I think is really look at it. Also look at what happened in Wisconsin on these, on these referenda and understand that there's some real angst out there and how do we address it? Not, not only how do we reform and change uh, and make the strides that we all want to make, and Brandon Johnson was right about talking about the roots, getting to the roots of crime, but we also got to do something about it now. And the American people need to feel like we are addressing it now while we work on the root causes. You and I were both there in, in, in Alabama in 2020 when we, had, we were just getting creamed with just the rhetoric of defund the police. I mean, we, I'm not sure we would have won anyway. In fact, we probably wouldn't have, but we wouldn't have gotten creamed the way we did, except right. for sort of the national debate about defund the police. Brandon Johnson, yes, he won. I think because of that language, that rhetoric, he only won by 16,000 votes. In other words, really think about that, that language, not about the intent, because I think Paul Vallis was also 
uh, someone who would have understood that we needed to invest in getting to the root causes. They talked about those two different things in two different ways. I think there's a lot that could be learned from thinking about how we can do both. Joe, I, I think that makes a lot of sense on the message side of things. The one thing that we should get to, and then let's talk about Trump, which again, every week, but that's the world we live in. It, I really want to talk more about some of the electoral significance of Wisconsin, because it's it's something that I, I think at this point in the year, if we, if we look back two years ago, we were starting to look for data points. Like, yeah. is... What what does this mean for Biden versus Trump? And at, at this point, we're, we're starting to get to that point where there are some real lessons in terms of this being a, a, a low turnout. And I think you mentioned they tried to juice white, older turnout in, in Wisconsin. It didn't work to an extent. Right. Let me rephrase that. They did, and we still won. Right. And in a spring election, which tends to be older, whiter, more conservative, the pro-Trump crazy guy lost by 11 points. Yeah. So this could have huge, huge implications on a Kansas or New York 19 type level for next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, we saw that in the special elections, you know, before 2022. You mentioned Kansas, New York 19, New Mexico. They they clearly signaled that they're, uh, to us, to you and me and others that we talked to, that, and we talked about that all the way through 2022, and people thought, what are they talking about? It's going to be massive. And guess what? You know, they were clear signals. Now we have our first real data point for 2024. It's kind of hard to see this anything but another signal, right? Right. 1.8 million votes is a record for the state Supreme Court election and exceeded midterm turnout in a lot of states, right? You know, it's it shows that the Wisconsin De- Democrats and organizations like the union, you know, have, have built a, a machine there to last and, and not just in a, a flash in the pan for for presidential campaigns. And of course, the Democratic chair, Ben Winkler, you know, he said, this isn't a prediction. It isn't a hint. It's just a note. And my note is this election was a a release valve for 12 years of Democratic rage in Wisconsin about Republicans rigging our state and smashing our democracy and then using that power to rip away our rights. And you saw it. Even in the face of those crime referenda, getting 60 something percent of the vote. That's I mean, you had you had you you had to have Republicans, Democrats 20 plus yeah, percent. Yeah. Voting for Judge Janet and voting for those. That's where I get the cautionary note about about look, this was pro abortion rights and pro democracy. And that's where we want the debate to be. Well, and that's that's exactly what uh, Greg Sargent said yeah. in the post. Um, and this is a great quote. If messaging about defending abortion rights and democracy commanded a sizable majority in this highly polarized blue collar, heavy swing state, and I'm going to add with two crime referenda on the ballot, it may continue constituting kryptonite to MAGA all the way exactly. through 2024. Exactly. And it's hard to look at it as anything right. other than MAGA. And that, that's what I'm saying. That's the read from Tuesday night. The thing to understand is, hey, look, We've got winning messages on pro-choice abortion rights and pro-democracy. They're going to keep doing crazy stuff. Kelly did it on election night. Trump is going to do it. DeSantis is just more Trump. You know, all that's going to keep happening. I don't think we want to uh, read too much in the crime side of things. Right. And in fact, you know, I think we have a much better chance in places like, you know, Montana even. Arizona, Montana in particular, I think John Tester 
pro-choice, uh, pro, you know, support and, and pro-democracy is going to be a much better play. And getting to the kitchen table issues of, of what's happening with the economy is going to be much, much better there. And I'm not sure either the Vallis or Brandon Johnson mess on, on crime is is something that that is going to really impact you know Montana, Arizona, Georgia. We'll see, but right now I'd say we we learned a lot of lessons. We still have a lot to learn. There- Alexa, create a radical ad for my campaign. Okay, let me write you a sensationally unoriginal ad. Don't let AI butcher creativity. Unify over 100 content creation services under a single hourly based plan with Bunny Studio One. Speed up production with our platform's quality vetted video editors, voice artists, designers, and writers. Our humans get your projects done. No tedious coordination needed. Get your 10 hour free trial at bunnystudio.com slash start. There is one, and this is a great segue, there is one specific crime message that we can't not talk about today. Exactly. Well, now, by the way, if we are going to talk about the the party of defund, right, it's led by Donald Trump, who now wants to defund the FBI, defund the Justice Department, defund the bench, if it's a court that's, that's looking at any of his cases. Yeah, I think that's where you're going. I'll let you take us there. Yeah, we are. We are absolutely going to to that particular crime. And there are more to come, as, as we've talked about before. At this point, people are listening to this probably on, on Friday, a couple of days after everything went down in New York. But Joe, it was hard to look at all the coverage. I mean, and you can get into some of what you saw from, especially CNN, which was a shame. But man, I seem to recall not a week ago saying, don't fall into the Trump trap. Yeah. And what did they do? Wall-to-wall coverage. I again just right back to 2016 man like like just hanging on the Trump plane sitting there sitting there for like like hours. flight in the air <laughs> Eric Trump tweeted from the plane I'm watching myself in the air like a picture of CNN taking a picture of the, it was like nuts and they they know that every Step of the way, my favorite was somebody on CNN talking about which door Trump would have to open. This is like actual CNN coverage. These are serious people. And would he have to open it himself? This is not a joke. You know, CNN Chirons were breathless like, soon, any minute, Trump arrives. Literal footage of the plane in the air. It was just, you know, the Trump trap, like you said. And my favorite thing, though, is Gallage Shepard of the New Republic. Covering the circus in Manhattan ate up valuable hours of news coverage despite the hot load of nothing that mostly happened, which is exactly what happened in 2016. They would just cover nothing for hours before he would even come out. But then, of course, Trump doesn't want cameras in the courtroom because that would turn it into a circus. So the clown doesn't want a circus. I mean, all of this is like just too too crazy for words. So Joe, this gets to exactly what we talked about last week. And I think Tom Nichols said, you got to make people smoke the whole pack when you're talking about highlighting every single crazy thing Trump does. This is not doing that. No, This is making crazy out of nothing. And it's essentially putting all of it. It's playing straight into Trump's hand. He wants you to have the video of the plane next to it because then there's he's counting on the fatigue. Right. So then when he does go on TV a couple of days later and attack, show a picture of the judge's wife, call America Banana Republic. You're just thinking, oh, it's just another thing because you just saw eight hours of his freaking plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he spent, you know, he spent almost the whole time attacking prosecutors, 
saying the country was going to hell and went right after the judge of his case. This is what I'm trying to say. The networks haven't learned a damn thing since 2016. It's like they went right back into the time warp and are doing it all over again. It says they still don't quite get that this isn't just covering your standard political campaign. Obviously, the reason they're doing this, the reason the camera is glued to that damn plane and every movie makes is because ratings. And Trump knows that. So that's how we got into this. With the, I mean, when you start with the Trump trap of, hey, I'm going to be in, uh, arrested on Tuesday. Bam. Every network for a whole week. Is it going to have, if he's arrested on Tuesday, what, everything is Trump, Trump, Trump. He knows that. And he knows they're going to do it. And they fall right into the trap. And they get their, you know, they get their ratings and their click fix. Forget about it in terms of like, I don't care whether you're DeSantis, Nikki, uh, Scott, any of them. I don't think any of them are, on, are getting any coverage, right? Why? Because he's chewing right. it all up and the press is going to keep falling for it. I, I just don't see the press changing its colors. It's one of the reasons we started Resolute Square, trying to like take this crap on because it's just so stupid that the press keeps falling for it. Well. I want to make sure we get to talking about things that the press fell for. You know, one of the things we were talking about earlier was the, the new poll on CNN uh, that, that is getting way too much coverage today. That is just, I don't even, it, I, the only way, my only reaction was just, what the hell? Yeah. No, no, it's not what the hell, it's what the fuck. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, they have a story out today as we're recording this with, with a new poll that they commissioned. The big takeaway is that one third of the country thinks Joe Biden deserves reelection. It's down five points since December, who said the same about Trump in 2017. By the way, yeah, Trump lost in 2020 by like 14,000 votes in Georgia, 44,000 in Pennsylvania. Pretty yeah, 70,000 across three states, a tiny margin. Biden has literally sitting at the same number of Americans who think he deserves reelect as, as Trump did. The poll is kind of insane because that same poll says whether Democrats and Democratic leaning independents, who therefore, and it says like 50. They don't have an answer. No, they have, it's Biden. 54% say they'd like to see the Democratic nominee to be someone other than Biden in 2024, while 44% say Biden should be the nominee. Who you're running against, what's going on literally 18 months from now is going to matter. No one is going to run against Joe Biden if he, it, I mean, first of all, he's going to seek the nomination. No one's really going to run against him and he's going to win. And then ask people, okay, Donald Trump's the Republican nominee. Joe Biden's the Democratic nominee. I mean, this is always, by the way, the same crap that people were reporting in, in 2015, 2000, you know, Biden's top number will be the day he gets in the race. It'll be all downhill from there. He'll never be the nominee. He'll never beat Trump. Okay, so I don't even understand the purpose for the poll, but it's out there. It's bullshit. People who don't want him as the nominee have no clear preference for anyone else. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's so then you ask, okay, what about this person? What about this person? What about, literally no one. And the only thing I see happening is a Trump Biden race or a somebody who vanquished Trump somehow, and Trump is out to destroy that person, that candidate, 
versus Joe Biden, whether it's DeSantis, Haley, Nikki Haley, Scott, whoever, Asia Hutchinson, Trump is going to work to make sure they're defeated. Well, Biden has a unified party around him. So no matter how many other options they offer people, the option that's likely to occur is Biden versus Trump or Biden versus a very weak GOP candidate who's going to have a hard time. And the MAGA, look at the MAGA people lining up on the streets with their signs on his way to the court all the way. Yep. Those people are not going to vote for whoever defeats Trump in a primary, if they defeat him. But also DeSantis. That's the other thing. Ron Brownstein has a thing out talking about the DeSantis strategy, which turns out to be not <laughs> the plan. Let me read this. The plan focuses less on making a quick splash in places like Iowa or New Hampshire and more on outlasting the former president in a battle for convention delegates. Okay, as someone who's been working in presidential campaign politics since 1979, I cannot tell you the number of people who have run Try purposely trying to not make a quick splash in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, or South Carolina, and more about just outlasting people and building up convention delegates. Al Gore tried that in 1987. It didn't work at all for him. That's why he wasn't the nominee. Mike Dukakis was. I mean, I can go through them, but Ron Brownstein says this. He says in a tweet that that literally has never worked that this strategy has never worked in the time he's covered politics, which I think is about the same time, uh, same amount of time I've been in it. And, and so I, I tweeted, I, sorry, I had to do it. I said, one man's literally never worked is another man's mind. This is a totally insane strategy. This is totally insane. This is how Ron DeSantis plans on getting past Donald Trump. It is an insane strategy that Ron Brownstein's right about. It's literally never worked. It's not going to work. That's not how the primary system, ever since the primaries went into place, yes, could somebody defeat Trump, like LBJ barely won New Hampshire when he uh, was running for re-election and immediately got out because it was the shock of just barely uh, pulling it off. What I'm trying to say is there's all kinds of cases. Obama winning Iowa, bam, off to the races. Gary Hart won, uh, took second in Iowa one New Hampshire, and he, you know, I was with Walter Mondale, Vice President Mondale at the time. He chased us down. We didn't defeat him. We didn't get him out of the race until the very last primary. Primaries are, yeah, you can move quickly and take out an incumbent, particularly an incumbent if you can beat them in one of those early states. It It is really damaging, and you can take it. I don't see. Right. But, well, it's like there's an alternate reality yeah. here where, in theory, you go all in on those first couple states, knock him out, steal the thunder. And all of a sudden you've got the momentum, but like, that's not, it's, it's almost like they haven't seen that. First of all, that's not going to happen because that strategy is not working. They got to go to, to plan B. Right. Right. Which is way worse. It's plan B for a reason. Well, plan B is slowly accumulate convention delegates, but the way their system works, you know, it's pretty much winner take all. If you win, you get all the delegates or a lion's share of them. So there's no way somebody who's not paying 
playing for a win early could could pull it off. I mean, the one strategy that made some sense to me, but it's more likely that Trump could use it, would be to have stand-in candidates run in their state for president only in that state to get delegates. But I don't see how that benefits DeSantis. And the likelier person to, to do that and to succeed at, at that would be Donald Trump. So look, I've never understood the strategy of any of the kind of wannabes. They're all out there defending the guy they're running against. Right. You got to defend the guy that you want to take out. And you got to be more like him, more strong man than he is. They're not going to do nothing is going to work. And we're seeing that. I mean, I think like the last poll I said, I saw had Trump even consolidating more and now like nearing 60 percent of the the primary vote with with DeSantis in the very low 20s and no one else even anywhere near it. So and I think that really bodes well again for Biden getting back to Biden in the stupid CNN poll that means nothing. That's uh, who who are actually going to be on the ballot. You know, I want some dream candidate too, folks. But <laughs> right now, believe it or not, Joe Biden's it. He is that candidate. He has done a great job. And I still think they're going to be able to make that case against whoever the authoritarian crazy man that comes out of the Republican field. I still expect it to be Trump. Well, Joe, there's so much more we could get into today, um, including, by the way, while we were recording this, the Tennessee House did, in fact, vote to expel the first of the three uh, Democrats who protested the the mass shooting last week. Um, The fallout from that is going to be absolutely wild, especially, I think, the fallout with young voters. But that is... It was it was like seventy two to twenty five. By the way, one thing that was encouraging in both Chicago and and Wisconsin was youth turnout. And I think you're right about this atrocity that they're doing down there. More authoritarian crap. They're going to get meaner. They're going to put more restrictions on abortion rights and everything. I mean, again, the same thing. Their big concession was to leave the doors open on gun rights and said, "Well, we'll we'll wait till next year to do that." But in the meantime. We're going to get rid of any of you guys who protested. I mean, it's really just, I think, going to become clearer and clearer to the American people. The contrast between the two parties. Last cycle, I was saying, look, it's the crazy versus doing the work. This time, I think it's the crazy and they're dangerous versus doing the work and moving the country forward. And it's the danger part of that, both in terms of our democracy and in their their threat to to people's rights and and the threat to individuals out there in terms of the damage they could be doing to people's lives and they are and whether it's a, a woman who's got to leave her state and find a way somewhere else they don't care that's what i'm saying they they are going to keep inflicting those that kind of retribution and revenge it's going to be that party versus joe biden getting things done. And I think every day people are starting to see the danger that we've been talking about for a couple of years. And a lot of us who listen to the, a lot of you who listen to the podcast uh, are concerned about too, but others are getting it. And uh, hopefully you can get some of them to listen to our show. Thanks everyone for listening to that trippy show. Reminder that this podcast will always be free. It's now part of Resolute Square. Check out the latest at resolutesquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You could always send us a question to That Trippy Show at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Alex.